The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cut Podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. Well, I say joined as always, but last episode was me going solo. The one before that was Pete going solo. So that's it's just a complete lie when I say joined as always by Pete. But Pete, we're back together again. Chad, in spirit, if Keeper Cut is being recorded, we are together. <laughs> Even if you can't hear us both, we're both there. Yes. Thinking about it talking about it mentally. And just to keep things going, you know, to the the opposite end of the spectrum, right? From solo pods, we've got not one, but two guests with us today. Christopher Weber, better known as Schwebzy and Scott Chu. Welcome to the show, guys. Glad to have you. Happy to be here. I, I like to think that with with Scott being fantastic and me being me, that we balance out to about one extra guest. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so at least sad. one and a quarter, even on a good day. Uh, I think that would work out pretty good. I, I I loved the visual of like you guys not being together, but still podcasting together. Like just, I picture you both like kind of finishing and walking outside and be like, I wonder if we're looking at the same full moon right now. <laughs> like that was the relationship I thought of. And I just thought it was beautiful. Hey man, we had an episode where we recorded separately at different times and then Chad like mashed them together so that it was like a podcast like that really happened that was just a few episodes ago it was just a few episodes ago that's true (laughs) so but uh yeah we're really excited to have Schwebzy and Scott with us they are both part of the pitcher list family Schwebzy is he tells me the lesser half of the in the deep podcast I don't know if that's true, but it's it's how he introduced himself. So that's who he is. <laughs> uh, he is available to you uh, through that podcast as well as on Twitter at Schwebzi, S-H-W-E-B-S-I, S-H-W-E-B-S-I. That is how you'll find him. Scott is the, one of the hosts of the Hacks and Jacks podcast on the Pitchless Podcast Network. He's on Twitter at If the Chew Fits. I, it's if the chu c h u fits. It's uh, I'll tell you the first time I saw your Twitter, I thought it was if the chuffets, and I was like, "What is chuffets?" And I was like, "Oh wait, there's a pun here, and I should be smarter than this." Yeah, it's actually a great Twitter handle, and I can comp- I just was totally perplexed by it. I mean, I, what I want to do now is figure out like what the chuffets are, and then like what if not. 
right? Like if the Chuffets, but what if not? If not the Chuffets, then what? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. That'll that'll have to be a future episode. We'll have to one one of our pods will have to cover a future episode. <laughs> what are the Chuffets, and what if not? <laughs> so the reason that they are with us today is that the four of us just finished up participating in a pitcher list mock draft, a very early mock draft. It is still October. There's playoff baseball going on right now. We're actually recording this Friday night during the Red Sox Astros game, which those of you who listen to the pod regularly know means that Pete is at best half here, but he is here. He's trying to, to, to multitask. Commercial break. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Commercial break. Anytime there's at commercials going on between innings, pitching changes, we'll get lots of comments from Pete. Other than that, uh, look out for some some angry yelling, maybe some joyous celebrations. We'll have to see. But the four of us just finished participating in a very early mock draft. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be recording podcasts with Nick Pollock to talk a little bit about our individual picks and what we did and how that draft worked. Uh, you can find that draft on Clicky Draft. We'll put the link in the podcast notes so you can check it out. Uh, it's supposed to be just sort of an early look at what pitcher list writers are thinking, where our minds are with draft season coming up. Obviously, still a few months away, but sort of a first look at at how drafts might go. However, we're not a draft podcast. We're a keeper league podcast. And so we want to take a little bit of a different angle on that. And so we're going to talk about it from a keeper league perspective. But before we dive into that draft, curious to know, I mean, Pete and I have talked a lot about the leagues we're in, but Schwebzy, Scott, you guys in any keeper leagues? Too many. Too Um, many. (laughs) Like I, I did that thing that I, I think a, a lot of like people who are new to the uh, quote industry do. And I didn't say no to anybody who asked me to join leagues. So now I'm in 10 and that is too many. Are but, they all uh, keeper the leagues? Ones that I, oh God, at least like five or six of them. Yeah. Maybe, maybe more uh, be, because uh, in, in, in the deep is for at, at its inception, it was about deep and dynasty leagues. So I made a point to join a few new dynasty leagues and uh, we wound up backing away from the dynasty facet of things because it's really not uh, Jordan or my strength. Yeah, but now I'm stuck in several dynasty leagues with no real purpose, which is awesome. <laughs> stuck. <laughs> at, le- at least it's not a long-term commitment, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the the two leagues that I care about the most are both keeper leagues. It's a, a pair of leagues with the same group of people. It's an AL only and an NL only league. Oh, interesting. Which it's it just... Yeah, it, it's really fun because uh, the the results in each league tend to be wildly different, which I, I find fun. And it's the same twelve managers or whatever. So they're they're both nine team leagues, which okay. helps things a little bit. the The waiver wire is still really really thin, uh, you know, as as it is in only leagues. It's salary based, it's auction based, and there's uh, inflation every year. It's contract based, so uh, you can if you draft someone or pick them up on the waiver wire, you get them for three years. And then you could sign them to extensions with escalating salaries. It's a, it's a fun balance. And then <laughs> something that I have used to my advantage is if you make trades, like contract years reset. And I have very much abused that to just keep my window open for basically ever. So if you've got a guy who's in their last year of their contract, but you trade them, their contract resets for the team that acquires them? It goes back one year. It goes back one year. Yeah, Interesting. so like if you if you trade for someone mid season who's in the last year of their contract, you'll get them for a year and a half. Okay, 
So this is one of my favorite things about talking about keeper leagues is that I feel like every keeper league evolves its own sort of personality and approach over time based on how things play out and, and what the different managers want and stuff like that. It's always fascinating to hear. Scott, what about you? You are any keeper leagues? Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple of them. I've got like a 16 team keeper league. That's pretty fun. We all like when I joined it, I found out I had to have a Marvel character name. And I was like, well, I don't really know them. I'd feel like a poser picking like a real superhero. So it's Howard the Duck. It's like a personal favorite of mine. (laughs) Everybody's like an actual superhero. And I'm just like this duck in a suit, which is like very much how I feel about my fantasy baseball playing. Like everyone else is playing and I'm just some duck in a suit. He shows up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So he's he's legit. Yeah, yeah. I think he was in the credits by Guardians of the Galaxy. It was great. But yeah, I'm in that league. That's fun. That's an auction keeper. 16. Well, it's sort of dynasty, except there are still plenty of cuts that get re-auctioned at the end of the year. I actually joined this new format last year, Chad. I don't know if you had heard of it. It's on Fangraphs. It's like auto something. Uh, I joined <laughs> I a couple knew. of those I've, leagues. I've, heard of it. I've definitely <laughs> but, heard of yeah, it. Yeah, so I joined a couple twice. of those. I'm I'm terrible, and uh, I think arbitration just started, so I'm reading a lot about that. But but it's pretty fun. And then I've got like one or two like sort of home style keeper leagues that are the classic like you keep the guy in the round you drafted him. Like, and then the next year it's one earlier round, stuff like that. Pretty classic with like the four to five keepers, which I mean, just plays so differently. It's just like redraft, but the draft is shorter uh, because yeah. we already have our first several picks. So, yeah, I, I mean, I play plenty of it and I like it a lot because it just, you know, if you have a, if you have a bad season, it gives you something to do later on in the season to actually position for the future. And if you have a really good season, you have people who might actually trade with you. Instead of like the bottom dwellers in your regular league that are just like, well, I would trade with you, but also I'm going to lose anyway. So no, it's like, right, oh, what's the half point? the player pool I can't trade for anymore. Yeah, no, I, that's that's I think for me that the big thing about keeper leagues is it keeps everyone involved year round. It creates more opportunities for trades. So I'm 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 totally aligned with that. Out of new arbitration, you're right. It did just start today on Friday. It goes for a month, and at some point, probably two weeks after this episode, since we're going to be rolling out episodes every two weeks, Pete and I will have an episode where we talk a little bit more about arbitration. And so you'll have a chance to hear from us on, on what we're what we're thinking with that and and where it would go. It's definitely one of the more unique parts of the auto new format is so is arbitration. So it's, a, it's an experience the first time you do it, for sure. So this draft that we just did, curious to know, curious to know where everyone thought about it this was uh this was the earliest i've ever done a draft and it's the first time i've done a draft where i really had no adp data i had no rankings to use i just had to like make up my own list i'm you know i'm not someone who relies heavily on that anyways i like to have my own rankings and stuff but it's very different when i like i couldn't look anywhere else it just was like make up a draft board and go yeah, it's like a sick sadistic game we play. It's like, I want to draft, but I want it to be as hard as humanly possible because you have no gauge as to how, because none of like none of us have, like there is no ADP. There's like a couple articles out there that are like, this is what I think the first two rounds should be, which is like not the part you need help with at all, right? Like right. you can kind of wing it through the first two or three rounds, but then they start getting to the point of like, well, I liked him, but but did anyone else like him? 
did, did you guys like him too? Do, do I like him too much? Like you're sitting there trying to figure out, should I pick this guy? I want to make sure I get him. But also no one else might think he's valuable at all. And you have no ADP data to have any idea. You can't see a min or a max pick. There's been like one other draft. Not to mention the fact it's Yahoo because of the really short hit, like the short hitting roster that you use. Like you can get a lot of real weirdness, particularly with hitters. Like you only need three outfielders, for example. So like it's sometimes hard to gauge, even when you know the ADPs, how those positions are going to go in Yahoo, because they like, you know, if every team kind of spreads them out early, you might not see them picked again for a long time or they'll get front loaded or back loaded. It gets really weird. So like, it adds complexity on the already like it's like the wild west you know it's just like we're all making it up and hoping that works the draft ended a few hours ago and i'm still looking at my draft board and there's still bats out there that i'm like i would take that guy (laughs) i don't know like so i'm like i'm already building my watch list for this league that doesn't exist (laughs) every every time i do something mixed league it just makes me upset because i'm so conditioned to these only leagues at this point and like deep dynasty leagues that when there's talent available, I'm like, wow, what, what are these spoils? What are these riches that are out on the waiver wire? I'm, I'm just so not accustomed to it anymore. Yeah. I was sharing a, a lot of the same thoughts as, as Scott there. I mean, I, I actually still struggled. I was picking out of the six spot and I think early returns to me anyway, or leagues where Otani is both a pitcher and a hitter. I think the top six are obvious in leagues where he's not, where he's, you have to draft one or the other. The top five are obvious, and I was picking at six, and Otani is two separate players in this draft. So those first five, Vlad, Acuna, Tatis, Turner, and Soto were off the board, and I, I honestly didn't know what to do. And the other thing is, like once it got to round like five or six, it really was that Wild West uncharted territory. It got to round six, and I'm like, Eloy Jimenez is still here? Like, Am I getting a steal, or am I going to look like an idiot if I take him? <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Um, and obviously, I ended up taking him. So it was different. It was a weird experience. I felt that way in the second round when I took Marcus Simeon, who, again, longtime listeners of the show will know I love Marcus Simeon. We talk about him all the time on here. I, I was picking ninth. And so that was the 15th or 16th pick. It was the 16th pick of the draft. And I took Simeon and I was like, he was better than a top 16 guy this year. So, but I, and I, he doesn't need to necessarily repeat what he did, but I took that pick and I was like, I really wonder if people are gonna be like, wow, why did we invite this guy? Like, <laughs> what was he thinking? But I'm looking around. It looks like Simeon might just sort of be a second round ADP this year. It's a lot of fun to sort of look back at these when full draft season comes because people are forming more opinions. They've had a all you know, winter or whatever to like dive into a lot of results. We don't have any playoff bias yet. We don't have anything, right? Like, well, you have a little playoff bias towards the end, but that's it. You don't have anything. When you get to March, some of the picks look like utterly genius. Like, how could you ever get this kind of value that it's silly that that happened? And then you've got like this other huge number of picks that are like, you dummy, you could have waited. We just had no idea if we could wait. We have no idea who's sitting. Like, there's, it's hard enough to build your own rankings when there's a bunch of other rankings already out there to make you like, to remind you that you're not crazy for like disliking or liking a guy. None of that's here. So we all just think we're nuts. Like what? Like after like the fourth round, I'm like, I'm going to, I really want this guy. And I guess I just don't care if I look stupid now, I'm just going to do it. 
Yeah, I don't think you can. I don't think you can worry about looking stupid because there's just there's nothing you can do. It's just going to happen sometimes in something like this. So, but like I said before, we are a we are a keeper league podcast, and so what we're going to try to do today is talk a little bit about what sort of keeper league insights we're able to take from this draft. The way we're going to do that is we took a look at the ADP from Yahoo, since this was a a Yahoo format league. We took the ADP from Yahoo last year. And the pick that guys were taken at in this mock draft, and we're going to do a, a top 10 countdown of the 10 guys whose value jumped the most from last year to this year based purely on 2021 ADP and this very, very early 2022 mock draft that we did. This is basically based on the assumption that you know Scott was talking before about the sort of standard style keeper leagues where a guy's keeper cost is the, the pick he was taken last year or the pick he was taken plus a round or whatever it is. We're assuming that that's sort of the, the basic structure. And so these guys become, based on this draft, the 10 most valuable keepers you could have. So we're going to go through that. We're going to talk about each of these 10 guys. We're going to try to do that without it taking all night. And so without further ado, the number 10 best value keeper is Freddie Peralta. He went pick 58 to Alexander Chase in this draft. Uh, last year, he went later. I think he was outside the top 200, um, or at least very close to that point. I'm trying to remember if he was a target of the In the Deep podcast. I don't know if he was quite past the 200s. I th- he, might, he might have been in that range. 201.8. 201.8 right on the board average pick. So he is right on that line. So he's jumped, you know, 143 picks, something like that. And yeah, I think we're going to start with Pete and your thoughts on Freddie Peralta. Yeah. So he's a great example of why in spring training and before season starts, you should be paying attention to players who are already talented. And we hear there's some kind of arsenal change. I mean, Peralta already could do so much with this fastball where it's almost unfair to call him a one-trick pony before the season because that fastball is like a minimum of a pitch and a half. But he added in the slider. Well, he started using the slider a lot more. Um, I know he was he was toying around with it a lot in the off season. I can't remember where it was, but I thought he was using it in some some preseason league or something like that. I can't remember what I read, but the slider was obviously a super effective pitch for him this year. It, it kept hitters off base enough. I mean, at the end of the day, he's still throwing either a fastball or a slider, what, 80% of the time, which you can say still limits his value. But as we're going to talk about later, Robbie Ray is very similar. And both of these guys broke out. I think it's just, I think we just have to take them for for what they did, right? I mean, a full season's worth of stats is more indicative of of what he's done in the past. It's what have you done for me lately? And he's been awesome. On top of that, he was hitting the strike zone a lot more. His zone percentage was up this year, about six percentage points. That's going to keep him deeper into games. I mean, I, I don't know if I would have... If you told me the line for Freddie Peralta, seven inning stats, seven inning starts before the season was at a half, like I could take the over. If he has one start this year where he pitches seven innings, I would probably still take the under. And he had three outings where uh, it was at least seven innings pitched. So... He's getting deeper into games. The arsenal's tweaked enough to make me think that he's just kind of an awesome pitcher now. And I'm sorry I, if I word vomited. Correa hit a solo home run, so I don't know what I just said over the last two minutes. I was blacked out from rage. Yeah, just yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, one thing that's really interesting to me about Freddie Peralta is 
like I, I thought back like, man, why were we so down on him? And I realized it's because we didn't know he was going to be in the rotation till the very end, like right up until the start of the season, it was like Woodruff Burns and then like Brett Anderson, Adrian Hauser and like Josh Lindblom, like stuff like that. Like that's who we thought was going to be in the rotation. I drafted so, Lindblom in at least one league. Yeah. So I was like, oh, he could be good. The Brewers do good things. I don't, with know, pitchers. If, I don't know if I would admit that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually what's interesting. And one of these things that's really hard about these early mocks. And also, if you want to translate it to keeper leagues, why it can be really hard to do trades at this point, because there's a lot of roles that are unsettled, right? Like, obviously, he's still going to be in the rotation, but there's going to be a whole slew of guys that towards the end of this year, we're like, oh, you know, it's a risk. I got to wait. And then either you look real smart because it never works out or you look like, man, how did I let everyone get Freddie Peralta in front of me? The news was good. And like, there was so much risk baked in and we just don't know. Right. I mean, again, Freddie Peralta, it's an easy one. You know, he's going to play, but roles change so much. And that's why there are potentially really good values, especially in like trading keeper leagues right now, because people don't know what to do with those players yet. There's like fear about a role or, you know, you think about a guy like Eugenio Suarez, like that's a really difficult player to trade right now, but also it's probably the most open because people don't have opinions to try to anchor onto yet. Yeah. And I think that the thing that's interesting with, with Peralta to me is he's this huge riser from last year to this year. And I think this, this is not a case where like our mock draft is weird or something like that. Like Peralta is going to be a huge, a huge riser and a great value as a keeper for sure. There was already hype on him last year at this time. It was just tempered, as you're saying, Scott, by the fact that we didn't know what his role was going to be. And his second half this year, the the walks increased, the ERA jumped quite a bit. The, The overall peripherals weren't bad, but his second half was not nearly as good as his first. And despite sort of a rough finish to the year and the fact that there was hype, especially later in draft season, he still broke out to such an extent that he made this list. So I think he's a, he's a clear cut case of a guy that if you drafted him last year in a keeper league, you're going to be real, real happy to keep him this year. The price will be great for you. So number nine on the list, let's, we're going to stick with the mound, uh, but we're going to move to the American league. I hope this doesn't mess you up. Schwebzy. We're switching leagues on you. I know that's a, that's a challenge. (laughs) Dylan cease, another pitcher who, I think there was some chatter about in draft season, but not nearly as much, at least in, from what I saw, not nearly as much as there was about uh, Freddie Peralta. What are your thoughts on him, Schwebzy? So last year in the offseason, we 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 were we both uh, did a podcast where we, we did a draft of late round targets. And I had the first overall pick of that draft, and I chose Dylan Cease. Because uh, my my thoughts were that he would be like he has all the potential in the world because he's got two really solid breakers and that elite uh, a fastball with elite potential. I, I have to specify that because it, it doesn't get great results. It has the potential, but not quite there. He gave up like 13 home runs on the fastball this year. It's not the best thing. A lot of the things that we were hoping would happen with Dylan Cease this year did happen. First of all, I mean... You know the the volume was there. He's he's a difficult one because he's still like when you hear Dylan Cease, probably one of the first things that comes to mind is unpredictability. 
because he was still his unpredictable self, but it was to greater effect this year. He had more of those completely dominant starts, and but you know the the blowups were still in there. To use one of Nick Pollock's terms, uh, I would say he was he's like a really high end cherry bomb at this point. Some interesting things about him are that he really cut down on his changeup usage, which is good because it was a bad pitch, and he upped the curveball usage, which is awesome. And so now he's. Not he's basically a three pitch pitcher at this point with a you know a, a show me changeup every now and then, and he got a forty plus whiff percentage on all three of his non fastballs, which you know you love to see that from a strikeout pers- uh, perspective. All three of so, his non fastballs, yes, that's so impressive, and like he also got a 214 or lower X Woba on all three of those pitches. So when, you know, if he's getting that kind of results, it's all up to his fastball. So the question for Dylan Cease is mostly, can he elevate the fastball? And that changes day to day. So, I mean, I'm probably in on him again this year. You did, Chad, didn't you take him in the draft? So no, it was Adam. It was Adam. It was Adam. He went. So uh, just to give the, that same date on him, he was average pick 241.5 last year. Now, it's worth noting that the way that Yahoo reports ADP, there's a bunch of guys with an average around 240 to 241, because if they weren't taken in a draft, it doesn't lower their number. So it's, it's a bunch of guys who, if they were taken, they were taken late and Cease was one of them. He went 94th in this draft. So he jumped from you know, a guy who wasn't universally drafted. And when he was, it was very, very late to a guy going in the top hundred, the top hundred in one draft. <laughs> like from a key, like even just from a keeper perspective, he's in a really interesting range in this draft because he's right next to Otani, McClanahan, Manoa. Like from a keeper perspective, like um, it's, it's just, it's a really interesting stretch of draft for us. Yeah, he's an interesting one from a keeper perspective because I think the depth of your keepers matters a lot. In a league where you have three keepers, he's a more challenging choice, even though he jumped so far. If you have a guy who jumped a lot less but went from a 10th round pick to a 5th round pick or something like that, that may be a better value as a keeper for you if you're limited on the number of keepers. In you know, in, in an auto new league where you can keep as many as you want, in a I'm in a keeper league where we keep 14, in a league like that, he's just a great value. Oh, yeah. he was so cheap last year. And uh, just to end it, I mean, like <laughs> in a keeper league, I would like to invest in a young pitcher with Ethan Katz. I mean, the strides that Cease has already made, like give this guy another offseason with him to fix that walk rate, which was horrendous in both the first and second half. It's what's holding him back. I mean, he had the fifth best K percentage in baseball, but his walk rate among all of these guys who he's close to in K rate is noticeably significantly worse, but give him another offseason with Ethan Katz, and I, I want to see what Cease does next year. No way I'm letting him go in a keeper. Makes total sense. So the next guy we're talking about, number eight on our list, this guy was going right around the same point last year, a late draft pick, 236.8 was his average pick. He went 82nd in our draft this week where he was taken uh, by Alexander Chase, the second one of the guys on this list that Alexander took. Jorge Polanco uh, was so good in 2019. He was so bad in 2020. He was so good again this year. <laughs> Scott, what did what'd you see with him? Yeah, so, I mean, one reason his his, dra- his ADP was so low was that 
sort of like the first guy we talked about, there was like a, a role issue, right? Like the middle infield in Minnesota was really, really crowded because Simmons was going to be the shortstop. And then you have potential batting tender, can, uh, batting title contender, Luis Arias and Jorge Polanco trying to share this second base role. Polanco's a switch hitter. Arias hit from the left. Like there was, it really looked like they may platoon this for a while. And then, you know, he obviously got locked into that role, hit second. I actually am surprised that he got as many runs and RBI as he did over in Minnesota because that lineup just really had a hard time staying healthy, doesn't doesn't have a lot of speed on it, and the speed that they have is hurt all the time. I think the nice thing coming into 2022 and beyond is that while Polanco could have like role issues later on because he's a pretty bad defender anywhere in the infield, and Simmons probably isn't coming back. He was on a one-year contract. And the infield of Polanco plus like Luis Arias, like shortstop and second, is really scary for a team that like can't pitch right now because uh, those guys are just both bad defenders. So I'm interested to see how they deal with that and find plus defenders. But again, he just hit 30 home runs, stole 11 bases, was really like the heart and soul of that offense. So obviously he doesn't have a role problem now. But what? I do like about him. He does do a little bit of everything. I wonder if he's going to continue to steal. He wasn't actually very successful at it. Like he did steal the 11 bases, but he tried like 18 times. So his conversion rate's not great, but yeah, still 11 I, caught six times is, is not still 11 caught six. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> not, not what yeah. you're looking for. Yeah. Not, not great. So he's going to be really interesting for me as we, as we go forward. Cause number one, I don't think they'll do anything super crazy. And Luisa rises would be the one who loses, but I want to see what they do in that infield in Minnesota. But also I just want to see how they try to play him at all. For example, if Minnesota isn't losing every game, do they even try to run in that much because he's not very good at it, right? I mean, he's good enough to steal a couple, but this is the type of player that I always find so interesting because like he, he did certain things for the very first time like hit 30 home runs, right? Because his perception before that was less. Just really interesting to see how this guy's market plays out. Because obviously as people dig in more, they're going to create a narrative and it's going to go up or down. I won't be shocked if it goes up though. I was so convinced that he was a juiced ball product of 2019 because I was very wary of that coming into the 2020 and 2021 seasons. Because you know he had 22 home runs in 2019 and before that, he had only hit double digits once before. So like, and then 2020 was like, oh yeah, th- that is who he is. He's that single digit home run guy. And then 2021 happened and it's like, wow, he's set career highs in. And obviously some of these stats are problematic. I'm just, you know, kind of summarizing here, barrel percentage, launch angle, average exit velo, max exit velo. He's set re- uh, career best in all of that, which is, you know, <laughs> obviously great for him and it makes me think that he can continue it and the counting stats man the counting stats are so good yeah he doubled his barrel rate like <laughs> it was over 10 percent this year it had like the highest it ever been before was 6.3 right and the overall average is still at 5.3 percent and he hit it was 10.1 this year that that was insane that, that's really hard to it's really hard to get a lot of opinions on that yet because we all haven't watched every single at bat for this guy and done all the digging but that's the kind of stuff that you're like, oh, uh, what's everyone else going to think? Well, if, P- if anybody's drafting him with the expectation that he's going to come close to these numbers again, I just know I'm not going to have him anywhere. I mean, in a keeper league, obviously, hold on and see what you've got because the price 
I mean, the whole reason we're doing this is because the price is not going to be bad. Obviously, he was going way late last year, but there's no way I'm I'm drafting him this year if his ADP is close to what he went in this draft. He, he hit 33 home runs this year. In 2019, his other sort of breakout, his first breakout, we'll say, he hit 22 home runs. So if I set an over-under at, let's say, 25 and a half home runs, over or under 25 and a half home runs for Jorge Blanco. I think I would take the under too. Yeah, I'm, I'm three. I'm, I'm taking the under, not by like a ton. I, I think I don't, uh, 22 sounds about right, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. I think that's I think probably in my head. He's gone from like 15 to 20 plus. Like he's, he's upgraded a little bit. If 22 is 22 to 25 is what most likely, and people are seeing the 33 and drafting him that way, this is exactly why I'm going to have him nowhere. Makes sense. But yeah, in a keeper league, he doesn't, you don't have to believe that he can go 33 and 11 again to be very happy keeping him. Scott, I think you made a good point that, you know, the twins are likely not going to be the worst team in, in their division next year. And so they are probably going to slow down his running a bit just because they're actually trying to win games. If he gives you 22, 23 home runs and four or five stolen bases, something like that, he's still going to be well worth it as a keeper. He just may not be worth his ADP once we see where his ADP nets out. So let's jump up to another big breakout bat who jumped over the 30 home run mark. Number seven on our list is Cedric Mullins. Mullins last year, like a lot of the guys we've been talking about, was going outside the top 200. His average pick on Yahoo was 204.4. He was the 25th pick in this draft. He barely missed going in the first two rounds. Uh, Went to Van Burnett with that 25th pick. Scott, you feeling more optimistic about him than Polanco? Yes, <laughs> a lot more. So I number one, I, I always, when we do these early drafts, I do always really want to see like, oh, I wonder how people are going to interpret this player. And what I really like is that uh, there's a thing that a lot of people do. They just look at batting average and then expected batting average and say he got lucky like all the time. So his expected batting average of 269 real batting average 291 you look at the slugging it's even more disparate right the expected slugging is only 440 the reels 518 i'm really excited to get a narrative out there by somebody it won't be me but somebody that's like oh it was luck there's a lot of risk here push it down this kid is this is what we were excited for when he first debuted right like when he when he did come up we we're like oh man there's power and speed here i remember sitting there and like it was like two three years ago i think we're just like oh this could be a 2025 like a 25 25 player he gets a rough start. He comes out and then becomes the player we kind of hoped he'd be. And now I get to hear people make this narrative of like, oh, no, no, it, it's a one hit wonder. You know, push it down, push it down. Um, I, I'm really excited about him. I, You know, you don't project guys like this to do a 30-30, but why can't he do 25-25, right? Maybe he w- won't hit 291, but he'll probably hit 275 or better speedy batting from the left side. Obviously, he made that big change only hitting from the left side. He's certainly not going to lose that, right? This isn't a batting stance for him to screw up. It's to just only stand in the one's batter's box. That was a huge part likely of why he was able to, I think, focus and not try to learn how to hit on both sides of the box because switch hitting is really hard. So really excited. I think he, he plays in a great ballpark. Every, everything's there. Like This is where I expect him to be drafted, and I, it could even get higher, right? Like He could move up drafts. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you you look at his his raw numbers, and if you if you assume he's going to repeat what he did, and that the Orioles might be a slightly better offense next year than they were this year, so there might be a little bit more help around him. He's a borderline first round pick with those numbers, right? Maybe even not borderline. He may just be a first round pick with those numbers. I think the fact that he's going, you know, in this case outside the second, although I think in a lot of cases he'll go in the second. I think the fact that he's going around that range isn't because people are saying, oh, he's going to fall off. It was a one year wonder. I think they're just saying, like, as good as he is, he can't repeat that. Not a hundred percent of the time, but there, there's most of the time when someone has a breakout, there is like a one year lag before they hit their true ADP because people are always naturally going to wait to see if they can do it one more time before they're willing to spend a first round pick on him. If Cedric Mullins goes, you know, say twenty thirty next year, then you know I, this is probably where he settles. But if he goes thirty thirty again, then you could see him in the early second, late first. I think the power is going to continue to play up too. I mean, he doesn't hit the ball especially hard, but 22 of those 30 homers were at home and almost all of his home runs are to right field. I mean, he just he just pulls it, yanks it out, kind of like Bregman a few years ago in Houston. So I think he's in a great spot for it. And I mean, I'm in on him. The speed's so hard this year. You know, Chad, this is something we've talked about in the past where if Cedric Mullins is a 30 homer, I mean, a, a 30 stolen base threat and has this kind of pop playing in that nice stadium, I don't know. I feel like he's actually kind of a safe pick for a out of nowhere breakout. I, I think people may have forgotten a little bit just how good Camden Yards is for home runs, just because the teams there have been underwhelming lately. But that's a great put. Like, how many breakouts have we seen there in recent years? Just because people hit a bunch of dingers there, it makes total sense. And I do think the Orioles' offense will be a little bit better next year. I think they had a, they had a bunch of injuries this year. They they should be adding Adley Rutschman at some point next year, and I, I think. This isn't this isn't sort of the point of the episode, but with Mullins and Mountcastle and Santander and Hayes and Rutschman coming, like there's some interesting bats on that team, and I think that could actually be a pretty good offense, especially in that park. So that's only going to help him for sure. So the next name on our list is a very very exciting young player that I'm sure everybody has thoughts on, and because we're so excited about him, I'm going to make you wait while we get a quick word from the Pitcherless Podcast Network sponsors. We'll be right back right after this. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, welcome back. We're continuing our top 10 countdown of the the keepers based on ADP on Yahoo last year and their pick in the very early mock draft that we just participated in. We're up to number six on that list. 
Number six in that list was a guy who did not go very high in drafts last year because nobody knew when he would play in the major leagues for the first time. His average pick was 241.5. As I mentioned, though, that represents the fact that he was undrafted in a lot of leagues. 241.5 is about as high as an average pick can go. He was the 62nd pick in this draft, despite still a pretty short track record of major league experience. That is Wander Franco. Schwebzy, what do you got for us and Wander? So I really wanted to talk about Wander because like, so he went low, lower than I expected because so everyone knows about the skills. Everyone knows about the tools. He's a five tool, all world prospect. He was the number one prospect for a reason. The bats of ball skills are unbelievable. And every home run he hit in the postseason, I, I well, all, all two of them, uh, you could just feel his uh, draft price inflating as he hit those dingers. Every single one hit, of those two dingers. <laughs> all two of them. It's because he only hit seven in the regular season across about 290 plate appearances, I think it was. And uh, that's a little bit underwhelming. I, I, I don't think people realize quite how impressive what he did was just because from a fantasy perspective, the home runs and the stolen bases weren't there. He had, oh, let me get the exact number. He had 50, 53 runs in 308 plate appearances. Over a full season at the top of the order, you're talking about like a 120 run season or something. like. That's unreal. Like, I, I think runs are a very underrated category in fantasy. It's not, it's something that people don't really go after. But, like, and also hitting early in the order, he also put up 39 RBIs in less than half a season. So you're talking like 120, you know, 200 plus runs plus RBIs easily. I yeah. think the power is going to come. Like, when you're, when you're talking all world elite skills, the, the profile doesn't matter as much to me. And I, I, I hate to use another all-world hitter as, as a comparison point, but we all know Juan Soto doesn't elevate the ball as much as we would like. But he still produces because of the incredible skills. And I think Juan Franco is going to be similar. Like, I don't think it's going to matter that he doesn't pull the, put the ball in the air as much as he should. The numbers are going to come regardless. I think the most impressive thing I saw from him is... In AAA this year, he had a 7.8% walk rate and an 11.7% strikeout rate. Those are incredible numbers. He gets called up. You assume, moving from AAA to the majors, there's going to be regression against those. He exactly matched his 7.8% walk rate in the majors. And then his strikeout rate just absolutely ballooned from 11.7% to 12%. Uh, Those are ridiculous, ridiculous plate discipline numbers from a a kid who like when he reports to spring training next year he will not be legally allowed to order an adult beverage right like he is he's still only 20 years old he won't be 21 until partway through spring training next year and he's already commanding the zone and managing at bats to put up those kinds of numbers and i think he's going to grow into more power and so i just i mean I've always been, I'm always cautious on prospects and keeper leagues. I'm always like so many of them bust and you, but man, I, if people are, I hope people were underwhelmed by what he did this year because I'm going to get him everywhere I can if they were. 
you know, I, I'm really glad you you mentioned that strikeout rate at 12 percent because not only is that amazing, that's actually front loaded. So he came up, he did all his striking out early. So in the in the second half, well, after the All Star break, anyway, his strikeout rate was actually nine point one percent over. I think it's two hundred and twenty plate appearances, right? In September, he walked seven point one percent of the time. The strikeout rate four point three, right? He was ludicrous like that. You almost it's a, you don't always get to see players grow basically like right in front of you and in a linear fashion, and that's exactly what happened. Right. The thing I love about him most, like, yeah, it's obviously the skills. Anytime I hear a guy, someone just whispers the word 80 hit tool. Like you want to talk about issues with power or whatever hit tool fixes all of those things, right? When you have an elite hit tool, you can hit home runs whenever you get a ball that you think you can hit a home run with, right? Because he has extreme bat control, extreme bat speed. And that's what Juan Soto does, right? Like he's just got this crazy high hit tool and he can make power because he always hits the ball in the exact right spot. It's amazing, right? This kid can do that too, except he's like faster, <laughs> and like younger somehow. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but like it, it's, it's amazing. So uh, not, you know, we had, we got very spoiled by this slew of good prospects that came in and uh, like the current class wasn't quite as exciting, but Wander Franco may change the perception on all that. Yeah, I got nothing to add. I'm glad Soto was mentioned twice because that's that's pretty much where I'm at with Wander Franco. I think he's elite. I'm not going to tip yeah. him that high because I don't have to, but that's where he is. No, I think yeah. you. I, I would be grabbing him everywhere I can. I'd be in keeper leagues if you're going to trade for him. It might be hard, but if you can trade for him, now is the time to do it. The one thing I will say to to Scott's point about like you don't often get to see players just sort of develop like this. Development is often not linear. And there is a very good chance that at some point next year, Wander Franco is going to struggle. He's going to go through a rough patch because everybody does. If he hits a rough patch early next season, bye. It'll be your last chance to do it. Do, do it before the price gets so high that you can't get in because he may he's going to have some valleys in there because everyone does. But once he gets going, he's going to take off. And, and there's going to be, if there's a chance to buy, buy. That, that's my that's my advice on Wander Franco. So I wanted to bring up one last quick thing. The the player that I was thinking about when I was thinking about Wander was Yelich, because Yelich had the similar thing where put he put the ball on the ground all the time. All the other skills were great, still a great player, but he never truly truly broke out. But he was still really good, and I think that might be where we're at with Wander until he decides or figures out how to put the ball in the air, and then you're going to see you know immediate first round status. And his back doesn't hurt yet, so that's a plus. Right? Yes. <laughs> he's only 20 and he's like 5'10", so he'll be okay for a while. Yeah. Let his braces come off before we start worrying about his back. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump into the top half of this list now. The number five name on this list was the 52nd pick in the draft. He was another guy who was going pretty late after he was picked 236.5 on average last year. Uh, Kevin Hastings picked him up at number 52 in this draft, and that is Austin Riley. And this one is this one's near and dear to my heart because Scott, in addition to being the host of Hacks and Jacks, is my editor and knows, or my manager, I guess I should say, and knows that one of my early, early articles of Pitcher List almost a year ago now was titled, Austin Riley is Ready to Break Out. And my article was basically saying he has shown 
incredible plate discipline and on-base skills. Um, not incredible plate discipline. He strikes out a lot, but very good plate discipline, a good walk rate, and great on-base skills. And he has shown great power, and he's never really done both at the same time. And what if he does? What if he posts a great on-base percentage at the same time that he shows the power he's capable of? And sure enough, this year, a 367 on-base percentage, 33 home runs. It's it's the dream you're looking for out of him. This year in particular, he happened to add a 303 average, which is pretty great. I mean, you, you talk, you're talking about a guy who he does not steal any bases. He hasn't stolen a single base in his major league career. He does have like seven stolen bases in his minor league career, but those were a long time ago and they're not coming back. But 33 home runs, 303 average, 91 runs, 107 RBIs. He also played 160 games, which is super valuable when you know you can just drop him in your lineup, count on him to be out there every single day. Now, there are some... There are some concerning things here. The biggest one is he posted a 368 BABIP this year, and I just don't think his bat skills support that. And so I think there's a good chance that that number drops. That's going to bring down the on-base percentage. It's going to bring down the average. I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on the power, though. And and I think that he's going to be in a continue hitting a good spot in a good lineup. So... I think he's a guy who you can count on for a lot of home runs. I think he, I like he hit 33 this year. I think 30, I think he can put up 30 a year. And I think that he'll score a lot of runs and get you a lot of RBIs and the average won't hurt you. He's not going to steal any bases, but I think he's going to actively contribute in three categories, be fine in a fourth and you know, not everybody steals bases. So what are you going to do? Anyone, anyone have concerns, anyone down on Riley? I mean, I, I have the same concerns about Riley that I have about anybody with his profile, which is strikes out a good bit, doesn't walk all that much, because that type of player can crater. This is actually a you know, spo- spoiler alert. I'm going to bring this up when uh, with one of our later uh, talking points. But uh, when you like the the way to still succeed when you don't walk a lot and don't strike out a lot. <clears throat> Uh, is just hit the absolute heck out of the ball every time you do uh, impact it. And that's what he did. He, uh, you know, similar similar to Polanco, uh, his, you know, barrel, exit velo, max exit velo, launch angle, all, all of it was, was in a really good range. And like, I, the, the expected batting average was, you know, it wasn't 300, but it was still 270s. You know, it must be nice when you write your first article for this website you join and it's Austin Riley might be good, right? Like pretty good. You know, I think you start starting out batting a thousand, right? Number one, it was great. Yet another guy who had his, you know, ADP pushed down because of role issues. It was pretty late that, you know, then, you know, Duvall goes away and then there's still questions because if you remember, I remember he came out in 2019, really like showed like, oh, wow, he went on this crazy hot streak for power. Then he started striking out like 50% of the time, right? And like I had the same apprehension. And then in 2020, he like fixes all that. And I'm like, yeah, but it was a small sample. It could get worse. And I kept like holding my breath, waiting to see Austin Riley have like a 40% strikeout rate over a, a period of time. And it never happened, right? Like he never actually over like every, you know, I'm on fan graphs. I did his 20 game rolling strikeout rate. It never gets to 40. Right. Like that's what I was afraid of because you're kind of afraid of these power hitters. All they do is swing and then they strike out just way too much and they could never provide enough power to make up for it. 
that's not what happened, right? Like he, even as his strikeout rate went up late in the season, it didn't like go way up past anything else that had happened this year, right? I mean, yeah, sometimes he'll have streaks of 35% strikeout rates because he swings the bat really hard, right? Like sometimes you miss, it happens. So I really, really like what he has. And with this lockdown role, with this lineup that just continues to be good, it's sort of an easy one. The only thing I'm ever going to be watching for is strikeout rate spikes, right? Because all it takes is one one shift, lose one thing in your batting stance, get pitchers to start doing one thing. That's what I'm waiting for because eventually strikeouts for him can be really untenable. But as long as he's keeping those rates somewhere between like 25 and 35, it's fine. Yeah, I try not to overrate spot in the lineup too much. But starting in June, he was pretty consistently the cleanup hitter on an elite offensive team. And that's a huge role boost for him because he started out the year batting seventh with the developments he's made batting in the cleanup spot in that lineup, assuming they they roll out a similar situation next year. I could definitely see myself being in on Austin Riley next year. I uh, I had a board bet with uh, Jordan, my my co-host, uh, and the board bet was Austin Riley versus uh, J.D. Davis. And I had J.D. Davis. <laughs> so that went well <laughs> i think i think davis is an interesting name for next year especially if we get a oh, absolutely DH, but he, he had a hand injury all year long and that always saps offensive production this is the yeah. most mets thing i've ever heard this is great <laughs> oh no next year's like once you start saying next year's jd davis's year like you're pretty deep in mets country i feel like like no one else is talking about that <laughs> i'm already thinking about the 2025 mets <laughs> so let's jump up into our number four guy. We've we've gone through a whole list of hitters after starting with two pitchers. We've got another pitcher now. Probably not a surprise that Robbie Ray was a late pick last year, going 235.7 on average. He went pick number 46 in this draft. Adam Howe made that pick. And Pete, I mean, Ray Ray went from a guy who everyone was like, yeah, he's got skills, but you know. He can't can't hit the broadside of a barn to a Cy Young candidate. He did, yeah, and it was kind of like the a case of the the boy who cried wolf with Robbie Ray, right? Because I was all in on him when he was pitching great in the spring. I want to say this was two years ago, and he had like that, that like new arm hitch or or whatever it was, similar to Giolito, what he switched up when and in his delivery, and it was like supposed to give him great control and everything was going to be better, and then he was horrible. Uh, for the, I think that was his last year with the Diamondbacks, but it was a different change this year. Um, I, I read an article in the Times about Ray, and it talked about his relationship with Randy Johnson. And basically, the, a summary of this article was he would lift twice a day to get ripped and watch videos of Araldus Chapman's delivery. And he was just like, this is what I am now. And did it like that's that's honestly like the gist of of what he did i mean the reality is like whatever he did he he figured out his control you know there's a cut down in walks which allowed his, his elite fastball which is awesome to play up the strong slider to play up keep hitters constantly on their toes he does get hit very hard and that's why his expected era which closely correlates with with exit velocity was up around three and a half whereas everything else was pretty low but his improved control i mean that that should eliminate really all worries that we have about him because as you said, Chad, I mean, this is an elite talent that just walked the world. I mean, he had a lot more problems than walks, but the control was the issue. His walk rate went from 18, 18% in 2020 to 6.7 in 2021. So this is a legit is he, change. Is bad? 
Is that, is that a bad walk rate? It doesn't sound good. 18% is is not good. We'll put that in the not good column. Um, but yeah. he's he's clearly changed. The fastball velocity was up just to, just to add on to it. And he increased the slider usage. That was at a 160 expected batting average against. I mean, he was truly terrific. And I mentioned earlier, similar to Peralta, where it's like you're pretty much getting a fastball or a slider. Like you can just expect that. But it's so overpowering. It's so good. And they're two such different pitches that he's kept hitters off balance all year. I think it's a legit change. I'm very curious to see where he ends up. It's weird to see a guy who was quite famous for walking or striking out people. Like he was like a three true outcomes pitcher and that it was like home run, strikeout, walk. Like literally just, it sounds stupid to say, but he, he basically decides after like two or three games of the season that he just doesn't want to walk people anymore. <laughs> Didn't like he just, it, if you pull up his 10 game rolling walk rate, I'm just using BB per nine because that's the, the, first button I got to click and I was, I wanted to talk, but you, you look at it and it's like a little spike in the beginning and just then flat lines. He starts walking only two guys per nine, not the best stat in the world, but basically starts walking people at a very, very good rate and just keeps doing it. Normally things like walk rate fluctuate from time to time, uh, especially like during the course of a single season and Robbie Ray's just like kind of didn't. He was just like, Nope, this is, this is who I am now, which is nothing like who I've been for my entire career. And even the first two or three games of the season, I just don't want to walk people anymore. I can't believe I didn't think of this earlier kind of thing. That's just what happened. You know, it's a, whole, it's a revolution in pitching is don't walk people. <laughs> like you guys heard a while back, like Charlie Morton, when like the turning point for him was just like, I'm just going to grip it and rip it. I'm just going to throw the heck out of the ball and let my stuff play up. Like I, I hadn't heard that about Robbie Ray with the, you know, the Randy Johnson, the lifting thing. And you made me go look and he had, basically his best ever fastball velo which you know we all know that better fastball velo tends to lead to better results uh he, he was like 0.1 mile per hour higher in 2016 but you know that's not too much i think it's just fascinating when you get like he just wanted to walk fewer guys so he did charlie morton just wanted to throw the ball harder so he did joey vado woke up one day and was like i'm gonna be a power hitter and now he's a power hitter like it's Why just fascinating how, how skilled these guys are <laughs> that they can just like wake up one day. Cause like if I woke up tomorrow and was like, I'm going to hit a home run and be like, still not going to happen. <laughs> Nothing I could do to make that work. So let's jump up to number three on our list. This is the one guy on our list who went inside the first two rounds and he was actually a first round pick. Now this requires a little explanation because it is Yahoo structure, which means that Shohei Otani is two different players. There is Shohei the hitter, Shohei the pitcher. Shohei the hitter was going 198.6 last year, so just inside the top 200. He was the eighth pick in the draft that we just had. Ben Pernick took him there. I was surprised he went so early, but man, he was awfully good. And Pete, what do you, what do you see with Shohei, Shohei the util? So I guess a, a little more context on Shohei the util <laughs> is that there were two utility spots to fill. So that makes it a little bit easier to take a take a utility, especially one as good as Otani. I'd actually never heard of this guy before. I had to do a little bit of research to find information on him. But um, no thank you, Chris, for laughing. That was obviously complete. <laughs> 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 um, 
I, I mean, what, what do we really want to say? I mean, the guy's incredible. I think obviously in formats where he's not a pitcher and a hitter, first of all, we could have a whole podcast about that. I think that's stupid. He's one player. And so if you're lucky enough to get him on your roster, he should be one player. Um, but I guess something, something that I noticed, I mean, maybe this is a, a crazy theory, but I think he actually could get better because it looks like, I mean, he struggles so much against breaking and off-speed pitches, but like, I don't know looking at the very simple like surface level stuff it looks like he just tries to murder every single breaking and off-speed pitch that his launch angle on both off-speed and breaking well pitches is over 20 degrees and the exit velocity is obviously super high because everything he hits is really hard so it's like maybe he we say it about a lot of players right like well if he maybe stops trying to hit so many home runs and just puts the ball in play like the batting average will go up and the strikeouts decrease and it's it sounds a lot easier than it actually is i imagine not that I'm a major league baseball player, but in Otani's case, like, I don't know. Like, I look at that and I think, like, dude, stop trying to chop down a tree when you see a breaking ball or an off-speed pitch. And, you know, we might be in some better shape. And Kike Hernandez just hit another home run in the ninth inning. Oh, We're still losing, wow. but let's go. Unreal. You know, Kike didn't even get drafted in this draft, by the way, I don't think, right? It's ridiculous. I'm going to go <laughs> at him right now. <laughs> you know, it's it's really hard to think about the fact that like yet again we're going to go into a season where it's like yeah Shohei had to swing it harder but like you think that offense would have been better when you went into the season it's like oh I guess we'll yeah. have Otani Trout and Anthony Rendon I'm sure it'll be fine and then it wasn't fine right like the offense wasn't fine I, I and I wonder how much of that you know sort of like being a little more aggressive swinging the ball swinging the bat really hard was just being like well I'm the only one left. Like someone has to make it exciting uh, in Anaheim and and I'm it. And thankfully it was enough, right? Like he's literally a reason to turn on a TV at any given moment because he might be on it and you want to watch that. And what I just, what I just love is like, maybe finally we'll stop hearing that he's not going to play all the time, right? Like, oh, well, he's, he's not going to bat. Like, you know, he's not going to do that many games. Like he clearly is. He's going yeah, like it'll affect his pitching a little bit, but like he's going to play constantly. And at this point, like it doesn't matter. Like the if Shohei Otani could play the outfield, would he move up your board? I mean, to me, no, because he's already like in this in this draft where we have two utils, it probably doesn't make that much. Like in like this draft, there were three outfielders and two utils. So right. like <laughs> I'm not sure how much difference it makes. In, in, in NFBC, yes, makes a big yeah. difference. But like in yeah. this format, it doesn't. Right. Like I've got two util and I've got three outfield outfields crazy deep anyway, when you've only got three of them, even in a 12 team league. So like in the Yahoo format, like Otani's value doesn't really change. All he has to do is like be on the field and he's a top 10 hitter. Does, does his relatively slow finish worry you? Any of you? Well, yeah, you slow- a bit exhausted. <laughs> hit 46 home runs, stole 26 bases, had over 200 runs in RBI. Like, I'd be tired too. I got tired reading that. <laughs> <laughs> you got a head to carry an entire offense too. <laughs> yeah, it'll be very and interesting to see if, I mean, if they get healthy language. next year, you get a healthy Trout and a healthy Rendon and Otani and Jared Walsh and Adele makes it like, there's a lot of interesting pieces in that offense and, that could lead to him having an, an even better year with more talent around him. I don't know if he can actually like repeat the individual pieces of what he did, but man, that that offense should be good. 
I guess Dude, that's that, what you're saying, I, Scott. We talked about that last year. That offense is going to click, and it's going to be so awesome to watch them lose nine to ten uh, every, every other night. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I, I don't think enough people talk about he had a fifteen percent walk rate. Right, fifteen percent, fourth best in baseball. Because why would you pitch to Shohei Otani when next in the batting order is Jack Mayfield? Like, <laughs> sounds like a superhero, like like a superhero's <laughs> real name, like Hogman Mayfield. He's really Jack Mayfield. <laughs> that's that's probably what Shohei Otani like signs into hotels with. <laughs> <laughs> like no one's gonna know who this is. So let's move up to the number two guy on our list. People have been waiting on a breakout for him for a little while, and it finally came this year. He was going at pick 228.7 in the preseason. He was pick number 27 in this draft. He got taken by Adam Howe there. Tyler O'Neill, the guy hits the ball real, real hard, Schwebzy. He, he does. Big boy hit ball far, which is a, a, a in the deep uh, tenant. I, I so I expected to look at Tyler O'Neill's page and see like a dramatically cut strikeout rate, and that's where like the breakout came from. And then I looked at the page, and it was like, nah, still strikes out. They're like thirty two percent of the time. He just it, he he is the person I was referring to before when I was talking about Austin Riley. Like you don't need to like make contact super often if every time you do make contact, you hit the ball really, really, really hard, and that's basically Tyler O'Neill's success this year. He still struck out over 31% of the time. He walked 7% of the time, which is, yeah, it's, it's okay. Not great, but you know, it's a hundred, uh, a 93 mile an hour average exit velo. Like any, anytime you're over 90 plus, it means you're hitting the ball really hard regularly. And you know, this, this isn't one of those like, yeah, he's hitting it hard, but it's on the ground. He's also putting it in the air 31% of the time line drives 25% of the time which uh you know that that could go up or down that's kind of more luck the line drives but i don't see anything in his profile that scares me he basically like if you look at his run values by pitch type he hit every type of pitch well he didn't have a real weakness like he it wasn't like yeah he was good but he he whiffed on every slider no, he was good against every pitch type. It, it's really like a wild year when you dig into it. Well, when we're busy talking about how he just crushes the ball when he hits it, he also stole 15 bases. Like, <laughs> he can run. Oh, yeah, 98th percentile sprint speed. Did we not mention that? Just crazy. He's so fast that he gets terrible jumps and still is a great defender. Yeah. The one concern I have is just that he has to be truly elite on barrel rate and hard hit rate and exit velocity because if he's anything less than elite then the strikeout rate's going to catch up to him and he doesn't have a lot else to fall back on and so i'm i'll be honest if he's consistently going in this range in drafts i'm probably not going to have him very many places because i just think Same. there's i just think there's still too much risk and in I mean, at the 27th pick, you're talking about the, you know, very near the top of the third round. And in those, in that range, I just want better floor than I think he provides. And that's my big concern with him is you could end up with, you know, you could end up with like a bad average 
still a decent number of home runs, but very little else. And it just, it feels like it could get ugly quickly. But I, I guess what I would say is like looking at him versus Austin Riley. And I'm not saying I think Riley is better. There's a reason Riley went 25 picks later, but I'm not sure I wouldn't wait two rounds and take Riley's power and find speed somewhere else. I, I think the nature of a list like this is that th- this is reactionary. Like this is, the, the, you know, we we did this just a couple of weeks after the season ended. So all of these breakouts are fresh in our mind. We haven't had a week to temper our, ex- we, you know, we haven't had three, four months to temper our expectations. I would say eight people on this list, I will wind up with no shares of in drafts just because I'm not going to pay up this much. Like you know, keeper also- leagues, great. I would love to have any of these guys in a keeper league, which is, you know, the point of this. You know, one of the big things that hasn't happened yet in terms of like trying to determine ADP and all that stuff, places like the bad X haven't dropped projections that we can all dump into, you know, dollar value calculators and things like that. Right. So that's, that makes this really hard. And when you see young players like Tyler O'Neill, who were, you know, well, well regarded as, you know, as, prospects right i think at one point he's like around the top 50 or something like that finally has this big breakout year but the way he gets valued in drafts next year is going to be heavily correlated with how projection systems like atc the bad x what they think of it what will they turn that into right like if you remember the first year vlad came like he got you know famously steamer projects him to win a batting title right that impacts draft stock a lot because those projection systems are really good. And like, I can pretend to have some idea of what, you know, Tyler O'Neill's 34 home run, 15 stolen base season looks like next year. Like I'm making it up. Cause I'm not a like well-oiled machine that's literally designed to guess these things based on a bazillion factors. I can't do that. So when that happens, I'm going to be really interested to kind of just see like, does he keep running like that? Like even just little things like that, that's really hard to predict. And there's a reason those systems like exist and take so much time and effort because it's really, it's really hard. Like 15, the 15 stolen bases, he hasn't done that in so long, right? Like, I don't think he's done this since like 2015 in a ball when they don't even try to throw guys out. <laughs> so, so these players went two picks apart. Who would you guys rather have O'Neill or Mullins? Mullins. Mullins. Oh yeah. It, it, it's Mullins. So he, yeah. Yeah, Mullins did go two picks earlier here, but yeah, I thought it was an interesting stretch because when Mullins, Buxton, O'Neill, that's a really interesting stretch of players. Man, the bad X is going to make that look really smart or really stupid. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like if it spits out three very, like we're all saying like, oh, they will be similar value. But if, if it spits out projections that are very different, their like their ADPs will end up very far away from each other. Yeah. Yeah. So the last guy on our list, the number one best keeper value based on ADP last year in our draft. This is a guy who was just on the mound a few hours ago. Chris Sale, 234.8 was his average pick last year. He went 40th in this draft. If that seems crazy early, the only person you can blame for that is me because I was the one who took him at 40th (laughs) overall. For me, I think the thing with Sale is he looked pretty good. This year down the stretch, the, the playoffs did not have not gone as well for him. And so I'm this this doesn't look as good as it did maybe a couple of weeks ago when I made or a week ago, or whatever it was when I made this pick. But he came back. He's looked pretty good. You know, he made nine starts, I think. And it, 
it takes time for a guy to get back from Tommy John, to get his control back, to get his command back, to build velocity back up. In those 42 innings he threw this year, he had a 3.16 ERA. He struck out almost 11 batters per nine innings. And I think he's going to build up from there. And I think next year is going to be better than that. And if that's the case, then, you know, he's still, he's still potentially an ace in my mind. Now, I think there's probably more risk with him than some of the other early starting pitchers you might take. But I don't know what starting pitchers don't have risk. And so for me, when I look at what he's capable of and where I could get him, I was real happy with that. Yeah, the Sox really took their time bringing Sale back and and it worked out great, but also was kind of tough on him because it was like, welcome back. We're losing the division now. Can you please save our season? And I think that put a lot of stress on him. And I think we're seeing that in these playoff starts. I mean, I will say tonight, like hot off the press, the velocity was up. And so, you know, Chad, you and I were kind of breaking this down before we started the pod. Like there are a couple of what was it? There were 12 balls in play and five of them landed for hits. I mean, that it's a tiny sample, but like, I don't know. I, I look at it. It's Chris Sale. He's still just 32 years old. It's not like he's some old man. And clearly he can still throw the ball pretty hard coming back from Tommy John. So you give him a full offseason. I think assuming he looks like himself in the spring, which maybe that's a big, you know, Homer assumption, but I, the guy's like a borderline Hall of Famer. I think he, where you got him is like probably where he's going to go. And worst case scenario, he could just ditch everything but the slider and turn into Matt Whistler. Yeah, that's a that is a <laughs> worst case, really scenario. case please, scenario. Please don't say that. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure the Red Sox would be thrilled if they were like, "Well, we thought we were getting Chris Sale, but we got Matt Whistler. So that's <laughs> that's not terrible. <laughs> Enjoy your thirty million, Matt. The Rays would be ecstatic. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, with we got with another Chris- one. With Chris Sale, I, I sort of, you know, obviously a big thing is going to be like what kind of, you know, innings, 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 how many innings is he going to throw? What are you going to do? Like, remember all those years they kept saying that Chris Sale was going to break? Like, those guys probably feel real smart. Like, they're a decade late, but those guys finally probably feel like, I see, I was right. And it was, was coming. Right. Tom <laughs> Brady's going to fall off a cliff one we day. Yeah. One someday. day he will. He's going to retire yeah. and throw for zero yards. And they'll, they'll I told you. I told you he'd suck. <laughs> where, uh, where, in, where in Vegas can I make bets on pitchers breaking down over the next 10 years? Because I would take that bet every <laughs> single time. Every pitcher. Every, every single one. Only getting minus 10,000 on this one. Sale was always, there was always talk about that. And it's been amazing how well he's held up. And, you know, I, I'm expecting him to be back to full strength next year. And so I think if, you know, he, he's a guy who probably was a little bit more expensive than this in keeper leagues than he was in Yahoo overall because his his people knew they'd be able to keep him. But man, I'm I'm real happy if I've got him in a keeper leagues. I think he's I think he's an ace, and I think you can draft him as an ace and treat him as an ace and keep him as an ace, and you'll get ace production out of him. So can I so, can I throw a real keeper situation at you guys that I'm dealing with right now? It's a keep three, and my the two I'm keeping for sure are Vlad Jr. and. Jordan Alvarez. And then it's between three pitchers, you Darvish, Chris Sale, and Shane Boz. Is what there, am is I doing there a cost here? associated with it? There's no cost. It's just keep three. At least you pick guys the same age, right? They're way <laughs> you, you this is why I'm having such a problem, honestly. 
you know, I think one thing I keep thinking about with Chris Sale is that format really matters here in that if it's like, if you think about like the NFBC where replacement level is so low and you like, you know, you only get weekly pickups, things like that. Chris Sale's value actually comes way down because Reef, like filling those 40 to 50 innings that he'll have less than everyone else becomes really difficult. Like it can get really ugly. Whereas in this format, this like 12 teamer on Yahoo, Chris Hill's value goes way up because the replacement level, you know, if you got to fill 50 innings, like there will be 50 innings of good streamers, right? You can get up. I think if you're in a more shallow league where replacement level is decent, I start leaning towards sale because he's got the most upside. I know there'll be quality innings. I know that the Rays won't do Rays stuff to him because they are not allowed to because they don't, you know, have any rights to that. So I, I think if in the shallower league, I'm definitely leaning sale. But then when you start getting those those deeper ones, you know, maybe it doesn't sound like rosters are too big if you're only keeping three, but those big rosters, like it starts kind of getting to the point of like, how do I fill those innings? I, I still think he's better than the other two, but at least the conversation does change a little because I want to know how I fill the extra 50 innings. Yeah, I should have provided more context. It's a, it's a 16 team league. There's daily moves. So the rosters aren't that deep, but it is 16 teams. There's daily moves. It's it's the typical five categories for pitchers, but also quality starts and strikeouts per nine. I think it's sale for me. I agree. Depends on how frisky sale. you're feeling because you can go buzz and, you know, just YOLO it, but and you know, you'd have a justification. If he I wasn't think- a Ray, I'd honestly be tempted. Do you know That's the Ray? It feels yeah. like the Rays are po- like playing Major League Roto and punting quality starts. Like that's the real <laughs> assembly of their team. They're a thirty. It's a thirty-team dynasty, and we're punting quality starts. In a thirty-team dynasty, you probably should punt quality starts. So I think that's that's totally reasonable. <laughs> so and if the sale if the sale thing goes badly, you still have Matt Whistler. So <laughs> yeah, it should be should be able to lock him up. So you only so need there are, are top teams, right? ten. Best keeper values based on 2021 Yahoo ADP and our early pitcherless mock draft. Just read them back to you now. Freddie Peralta, Dylan Cease, Jorge Polanco, Cedric Mullins, Wander Franco, Austin Riley, Robbie Ray, the hitter portion of Shohei Otani, Tyler O'Neill, and Chris Sale. Um, when we were talking about this, this is something Scott pointed out sort of even before I revealed the list was that it's going to be injury guys, prospect guys, and breakouts. I think it's worth noting that the injury guys and the prospects probably went a little bit higher in keeper leagues last year than they went in redraft. And so these ADPs might not be accurate for them. Um, but I think all of these guys on this list are, you know, we had some debate here about some of their their ADP and if they're, you know, are they going to be worth it to draft? And we had a couple of guys that were like, oh, I'm not going to own that guy anywhere because he's pricing me too high. These are all great keepers. Like every one of these guys at the price you paid for them last year and be real happy to keep them next year or this year to finish up. I'm going to ask each of you one more question, which is let's, let's look ahead. So we basically just talked about a bunch of guys who went, you know, pick 200 or later and are now keepers this year. Looking at the draft, we just finished. Who's one guy that you saw go after pick 200 in our draft that you think by this time next year will be a potentially on a list like this as a, a early draft pick keeper, great value because they've increased who they are. Schwebzi, I'm going to put you on the spot and start with you. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to cheat and I, I'm going to quickly name two players. Uh, one of whom we're, we're seeing on a stage right now uh, get, well, not at this moment, but in the playoffs, Gavin Lux, we're starting to see him come along. And I got him with literally the last pick of this draft 
which I think is going to, you know, looking back on this, if we ever look at this map draft again, is going to look like an insane value. But uh, the, the, and I don't think that's a bold take at all. But uh, a, a more bold claim, uh, the round before that, I took O'Neill Cruz Ugh. from Pittsburgh. You took mine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you were going to use one of my picks. Oh, I'm flattered. <laughs> but uh, I, this is this is very on brand for me because, as I said before, I love it when when lar- large baseball players hit the ball really, really far. And O'Neill Cruz has had like 29 career major league plate appearances and already has the hardest hit ball in Pittsburgh Statcast history. And uh, yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy how quickly that happened for him. But I like this fix. Scott, what about you? Who's someone who went after 200 in this draft that you think is going to be a key? That, that's amazing, Schwebzy. Like of all those extremely hard hitting Pittsburgh Pirates we've seen <laughs> over the last couple of years. Uh, this is Pedro Alvarez slander. Yeah, uh, amazing. Amazing. Um, actually, the guy I picked is a guy I drafted because I'm very excited about him. I was excited about him all year, and I keep buying uh, baseball cards with his autograph on them, and that's Akil Badu. I was uh, one thing that's really cool about Akil Badu is I talked earlier in the show about like I like watching guys grow because it gives me some idea of like what kinds of things they might be capable of in the future. We're always asking players to just start doing this more, or start doing this less, or start you know looking for this more often. And we actually saw Akil Badu change his plate discipline profile like in the most dramatic ways possible, like three times in the season. Like three times in the season, he said, I'm struggling. I'm going to entirely change the type of player I am, and it will make me better for a while. It actually happened. He starts out, he starts swinging the bat as hard as he can, hits a bunch of these really exciting home runs, and strikes out 40 plus percent of the time in April. And then in May, does the old Robbie Ray, like, I don't feel like doing that anymore. So he starts, he he takes his 3% walk rate and turns it to a 26 or 27% walk rate in the month of May. Uh, and takes his like his uh, strikeout rate to a little lower than that. It's insane, right? Yeah, he's not hitting for the same power, but he's just constantly getting on base and starts stealing more bases. And then he's like, you know, this feels a little extreme. You know, I don't want to be, I'm, I'm not this hot and cold. Like I want to swing the bat sometimes. So he does. He comes back to like a league average, slightly below um, walk rate. Strikeout rate does not get worse. In fact, it stays just about where it is, if not a little better. And he's like, I'll hit for a little more power and I'll keep running. Like these are, he makes these huge dramatic changes. He looks like three different players throughout the year. That's so exciting. Being he has power, he has speed. Statcast didn't like him, but that's because they're lame, right? Like they're just party poopers. It's whatever. Akil Badu, I do think, has the ability to be a 2020 type player. Uh, I think that he can hit a lot better than Statcast thinks he could because, again, total wet blanket. I do think he can hit like 250, 260, and, and he could make a big jump there. And it's not like the Tigers have a bunch of other like lead off, like they have a lot of hitters coming up, but not lead off guys, right? Akil Badu can be their left-handed lead off hitter. I think he can be, he can be a very, very good player. And I think one of the reasons he got pushed down so far in this draft is we only had three outfield. So it's less exciting in that format, but every other format, uh, I think he's great. And I talk about Akil Badu every time I'm on a show. So I needed this opportunity to squeeze him in. So I appreciate it. That was that's the only reason we're doing this segment so far. is just to give you an excuse to talk about Akil Badu. Pete, I know you lost your guy, so you got to come up with another one. Have you had time to do that? I have. I have. I really wanted to do Onyo Cruz, who I think is just going to be awesome. But uh, I'll since they both chose someone that they chose, I won't, you know, break the trend here. I was able to get someone in the last round who had a 0% K rate this year. 
um it was through two plate appearances but it was zero percent and that was josh pitcher uh no no that was josh Lowe of the tampa bay rays there are rumors that uh seem to be picking up a little bit of steam that the rays are going to move on from kevin kiermeyer he's set to make 12 million dollars next year which as we know to the rays is like eight billion dollars so they're going to want to potentially move on and even if they don't i think they're going to look to find room for josh Lowe. i know that's really hopeful thinking because it's the rays and honestly i hate drafting any rays but if we're talking about taking some some late flyers low really came out of nowhere last year and tore up triple a durham he's a power and speed threat he's the perfect cheap replacement that the rays are always looking for which is again why i keep coming back to this like obviously playtime is key if you're going to draft a player like josh Lowe. but clearly he has some upside um, the Rays have obviously been very good at developing talent, including hitting lately. Their offense was fantastic lit last year. So Josh Lowe, I think, could end up being on this list next year, assuming, obviously, he gets the playtime. Can I just point out that this is like the third low slash low the Rays have developed in the last like four years? <laughs> Apparently, he is the brother of Nate. But they had, like, really? they had all three. I, I think he is. I believe he's the brother of Nate. Yeah, this I'm, is- I'm, I'm looking amazing. it up now. <laughs> the first thing I did was like jump to the Tampa Bay Rays uh, roster resource to go through their minor league system to see if there's any other lows. Like there's a pretty good chance they're going to get a shot at the minors at this point. <laughs> right. Like you're already three for three. So I, that that's what I did. I just started hired Derek Lowe as their manager. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so it's we're going to we're getting on to almost an hour and a half here. So I'm going to be pretty quick. I've got two names. I'm going to throw them both out and I'm, I'm not going to go with guys. I picked one of the guys. Trey Mancini went at 204 in this draft and man, he early this season looked like he was going to become a star again. He he went through some rough patches. He struggled a little bit down the stretch. There's a couple of things that I think might've been, might've impacted that one is I think he ran out of gas a little bit at some points in the season. It's been a, like you consider the road he's been on from, from cancer and everything else that it's, uh, it's understandable that playing a full season would be a bit of a slog at times for him. On top of that, the story came out either yesterday or today that he had a, a, a potential relapse scare mid-season that he says completely threw him off. And if you look at his last two weeks of June, which is around when that happened, I believe the last two weeks of June, he had a 32 WRC plus. Like He just was like clearly focused on other things and understandably so. I think a full regular offseason for him and a full season next year, he's going to put up big numbers. The other guy I want to mention went just a few picks later at 209, and that's Dalton Varsho. Uh, and this is a little bit of a weird one because I think what Varsho is going to do next year is likely be a very solid fantasy outfielder, but nothing special with catcher eligibility. And I think he's going to play enough. I, I, this is pure speculation on my part, but I think that what you're going to see from him is he's going to play outfield almost every day and catch enough to maintain eligibility in most formats. And if he does that and basically is a catcher who plays 150 games and puts up solid numbers, he's going to be a super, super valuable fantasy piece. It's like Isaiah kind of Falefa, but good. Mancini could be next year's Hanniger. Yeah. That's a good call. That's a good comp. So thank you, Schwebzy and Scott, for joining us. 
Pete, good to be back on the air with you in in for real instead of our sort of mystical connection that we discussed earlier. I uh, really appreciate everybody listening to this. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. That's Cut with a K. Subscribe, leave us ratings and reviews. Uh, we really appreciate that. We'd love to hear from you. And we will be back in a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs>